subscriptions, the free kind. It was like seven days for free, 30 days for free. You ever done that? Yeah. Those always turn out great. Um, you know, it, it answers some questions, though, right? Like, okay, well, mm, I don't really want to pay money. I just want to kind of check it out. Uh, I want to see what it has available and use it. You have seven days or 30 days to figure it out. And, and oftentimes you're like, mm, yeah, okay, well, I could live without this. And so then it takes you seven weeks to cancel your subscription. And uh, that's, you know, part of it. It can be really frustrating. It can be really frustrating when you get a subscription and it doesn't meet your expectations. Well, recently, that, that did happen to me. I took a 30-day subscription, and I gotta tell you, it's just, it's not meeting my expectations. Uh, it's not answering any of the questions that I thought would be answered. And so I'm just ready to cancel my subscription to 2021. I just want you to know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm right there, I'm so close. Well, maybe we can't do that. But I do have to admit that 2021 has uh, not met expectations, and rightfully so. What's, what's a day going to do to cancel COVID? What is a day going to do to change hearts and minds? And you may be feeling the pressure of some of that even right now. You may be feeling even, perhaps even oppressed from some of those uh, the, 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 the news that we're hearing, the things that we're experiencing, uh, this may be a real frustrating time. So, when Matt and I sat down and we started to talk about what is this next series? What do we believe God is doing? The phrase that we couldn't let go of is hope. And so we landed on this hope rising because we really do sense that hope is rising up in our midst. And it's not because of what's going on in the world around us. It is slow, so, solely and exclusively because of the work of God in us, through us, sometimes in spite of us, but certainly because of Him. And we feel this hope rising, and we're hoping, we're believing that we can, uh, as, as we proclaim God's Word, extend that to others. And we see it in a lot of ways. Christmas Eve here, 10 people made a, a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Like, that was exciting. And then we see two students who are coming up today, and they're going to be baptized. And i, I got to tell you, I heard their testimony the other day, and I'm like, shoot, when I grow up, I want to be like them. Yeah. I, for real, you're going to hear this a little bit later, and you're going, Wow. These are our kids who, man, they have their eyes directed on Jesus, and I want my eyes directed like that. It's encouraging. There is hope rising up, and I hope that you are sensing that. I hope that you're experiencing that. But if you're looking for that outside of Christ, you're not going to find it. It's just not available anywhere else, and you'll want to turn that subscription back in. But i got to say that you're not going to want to miss out on what God is doing, and there is a hope that is rising up because of Him. With that in mind, we're going to be in 1 Peter here in just a few moments. I want to encourage you to turn there as I pray. Jesus, we do love you, and we thank you and praise you and ask Almighty God that you would, you would have your way in this place. Lord, in my heart and, and all, all of us individually, Lord, I, I pray that you would have your way. And 
in us corporately, Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would have your way. That, Lord, despite the things that are going on in the world around us, that we would be able to see you at work in us and through us, and sometimes in spite of us, Lord. And we would just offer this to you today for your glory, asking that you would have your way. Lord, as we lean into this idea of hope, um, it, is not a, um, it is not a dream. It is not a, a wish. It is hope that is rooted in you and founded, found in this present reality as we look forward to what you will do one day, completing this hope. We love you. I thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in 1 Peter, and as you're turning there, I want to share a little bit about this guy, Peter. Uh, just a, a fascinating guy. I mean, really, before we, we talk through um, these verses that we're going to get to, we need to do a quick overview. So Peter was a fisherman, and they called him Simon. That was his given name. That's how he was known. And in Simon's days, uh, there is now a second generation of rabbis. Jesus is a part of that second generation movement. And what has been established is this, that the rabbis would say, uh, they would go out and these students would come to them, students who had memorized the Old Testament. Does anybody here memorize the Old Testament? I'm just checking real quick before I open my mouth and insert my foot. Okay, a few people have memorized the Old Testament. That's awesome. Um, and what they would do is these students would come to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, as you are, so I want to become, may I follow you. And if the rabbi thought he was particularly smart, even though he'd memorized the Old Testament, um, if he thought he was particularly able, he'd say, come follow me. Well, this crazy thing happens with Jesus. He breaks precedent. And Jesus goes to Simon and his brother, and he says this, come follow me. Now, this it is deeper than just what the text shows. And what Jesus is saying is this, Peter, as I am, so you can become. Follow me. And not that Jesus is going to become the savior of the world, but Jesus is going to be transformed like his savior. It's a big key. And when you watch Peter moving throughout the Gospels, you start to see this guy who becomes bold. He becomes... Uh, uh, proud and excited at what God is doing in him and through him and what he's learning in Christ. It's an amazing thing. There's this scene, and it's a very important scene. In fact, it's, it's one of those scenes that I believe in part uh, influences this book. And here's the scene. Peter's out on the water. And as he's out on the water, he perceives a ghost coming towards him. Now, it's not a ghost, it's Jesus. But he doesn't know that at first. And eventually, he finds out, yeah, that is Jesus. And he says, if you're Jesus, then let me come out to you. And Jesus calls his bluff. Like, how intimidating would that be? Sure, come on out. Oh, I didn't think you'd do that. <laughs> but he does. And Peter goes out, and he starts to walk up water with Jesus. And as long as he's focused on Jesus, he's walking on water. But as soon as his eyes go away from Jesus, he starts to sink. You're going to see that as really um, the shaping of 1 Peter. 
We move on in Peter's story. There's a time where Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, Who do you say I am? And Peter boldly says, You, you are the Christ. You. That wasn't given to you by man, Peter. That was given to you by God. And Jesus goes on in that moment. So here's, here's the first moment. And if you've been following this 90-day reading, you've read, read this recently. Here's this first moment where Jesus is saying, That was given to you by God. And then Peter says, you're not going to have to suffer. You just, stop saying that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like, this is the same thing that's happening. And this is a picture of who Peter is. On one moment, he's following Jesus, and the next moment, he kind of forgets. And he has to get his eyes fixed back on Jesus. And he can walk on the waters when he's fixed on Jesus. But as soon as he doesn't, he starts to sink. And we see that time and time again. Jesus prophesies that Peter is going to deny him, and Peter does deny him. And there is something that happens in the scriptures that, that is really easy to miss. Uh, in, in, in English, it just comes off like he's going fishing, but in, in Greek, it's pretty clear what he's saying when you understand it in the culture. And Peter is basically saying this, I, I can't be like Jesus. I, I, can't be, I can't become as he is can't follow Jesus where he's going. Ah, I'm a fisherman, and I'm going fishing. <laughs> it's the best thing, too, because Jesus meets him while he's fishing. And you might know the story, but I love the story. And that's this. Peter is out fishing. He's out with the disciples. You know, the disciples, they're like, yeah, let me encourage you. Let's just go fishing, too. And so they're all out fishing. And Jesus is on the on the shore, and they don't know it's Jesus. And they say, and Jesus says, uh, hey, How's that fishing going? <laughs> They're like, we haven't caught anything. Try the other side. They catch so many fish, they can't contain it. But their nets hold tight, and in that moment they realize, that's Jesus. And they go see Jesus on the bank, and Jesus restores Peter to ministry. Peter, you may think that you got away. You didn't. You're my fish. My fish remain caught. You don't get to go anywhere. Peter, you think you can do your own thing? You can't do your own thing. Keep your eyes on me or you see. Stay here. Now let's get you cleaned up. Now let's get, get you back on mission. And the church begins to grow. And as the church grows, Peter becomes a leader within the church. And there are Jewish believers and there are Gentile believers and Peter is going to address them. And that gets us to this book, 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a circulatory book. It, it went to many churches in Asia Minor. Now something that you might need to understand about this before we read a word is that they're experiencing persecution. And when I say persecution, I don't mean like people said bad things about them. People taunted them. I'm not talking about that, though those things seem to have happened. I'm talking about they lost their livelihoods. So because they they couldn't or because they wouldn't say that Caesar is Lord, then they weren't able to be a part of guilds that allowed them to sell merchandise, for example. They lost their livelihoods. Because they were following Jesus, some of their own family said, That's nuts. Don't come around here. The communities started to ostracize them. And Rome 
ask for their lives. Some of them were dying for their faith because of their faith in Jesus. And what you're going to see from Peter is he's going to remind them to keep their eyes on Christ. Don't veer to the right. Don't veer to the left. Don't look at the winds and the waves that are crashing in, but focus on Christ. And I want to encourage you as you do, you're going to see some just amazing things. As I hinted already, there's, there, there are illusions that Peter uses that mm, sometimes we, sometimes scripture can, I don't know, you, at first blush, it's like, oh, wait a minute, is the church replacing Israel? No, the church isn't replacing Israel. That's, that's not what we believe. That's not what we believe this passage, these passages are teaching. But you are going to see that these people are chosen by God. Even the non-Jews, the Gentiles in these places, they're chosen by God. And that's the super cool thing because what that means is that they have this shared faith. So even though they're not related by blood, even though they can't take their lineage in that direction, they are connected by faith. And Peter's going to, to make sure that they recognize uh, that truth, that reality. Keep on, Peter is also going to address suffering. And what Peter doesn't do is say, let's take up arms and let's go get them. Although, that was a big part uh, of, of Israel's past. That's what the zealots did. And some people have even connected Simon with that movement, though that's a questionable assertion. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you know what, that is horrible that you're being, I'm so sorry that you're being persecuted. This is terrible. I recognize that you're dying for, you know, oh, maybe you can just back off. He doesn't do that. In fact, what he does is he reminds them, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And here's some words that I want to give you that are absolutely true. And these absolute truths are going to empower you to not just survive, but to thrive despite the persecution. And that's better. This faith is more valuable than gold, we're going to see implied. And that matters, because they can't get gold. <laughs> that's not an option to many of these believers. Some they could, but not all, depending on which, which area they were in. But this is a big deal. Peter's saying, your faith is bigger than that. It's better than that. And it's going to be refined. And a part of this persecution is that refining. And it's better than gold. And then he's going to say, uh, this faith that is genuine brings praise and glory at the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that a few times throughout our time together uh, over the weeks to come. But what that means is that our lives are supposed to be given as a sacrifice to Christ. Whether that comes in the form of physical persecution and death, or whether that comes from just a day by day by day by day laying it out in front of God, it is necessary, and it's necessary for the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. It's a big deal. There are a few things that we need to embrace uh, throughout this, this book. And I would say the biggest thing is this issue of holiness. Holiness is a word we don't use very often. In fact, when we do use, we, we use like this. Um, oh, you're being holier than thou, right? 
so it's, all, it's a condescending term, the way that it's most often used in general in our culture. But holiness biblically is a big deal. It means to be set apart for the work, for the glory of God. There are other words that are associated with it. Words like sanctification. Uh, that mean just that. You're set apart for the work of God. But there's more to it than that. And I want to highlight just a few of those things. Uh, the first thing is, holiness is not ours. We, we, didn't, we didn't earn it. We didn't make it. Like, I'm not holy because I'm Kenny White. You're not holy because you're you. Uh, it's not ours. We didn't pay for it. It's not ours to give to others. I can't say, okay, now you're holy. <laughs> I can't do that. You can't do that. We can't do that. It's not ours to do that with. Holiness is something that is given by God because it's been bought by God to give to his children. And we'll get into that now. And all illustrations fall short, right? I mean, we're talking about spiritual things as it relates to the Bible. Uh, and sometimes the way that we illustrate those are with physical realities. And they just come short. I mean, if you play out almost any uh, illustration, uh, they, they just stop a little bit short. So... Uh, I'll, I'll try to give you an illustration that identifies this, this holiness. Um, in my home, my mother was the disciplinarian. My dad, I respected. He could discipline us, uh, but I respected. And I, I had this like, um, I, don't know, I just always wanted to please my dad. I just always wanted him to like, you know, uh, be okay with me, be good with me, uh, enjoy me. And so I had this this respect for my dad. Not that I didn't for my mom, but it, it was just it was just different. That's all I can tell you. It was different. My dad, after I graduated, graduated high school, bought a 67 Mustang. And he restored it. It was restored except for the paint job. And oh, you guys, it purred. It's so nice. Oh, I love that thing. And I watched him take care of it, and I watched him kind of engage my brother and I in it, and we, you know, we really liked it. And I remember the day he said, you want to drive it? Yeah. Of course I do. But here was the thing. I knew that if I got a ticket, uh, it would affect my dad's reputation. Like, uh, that, that, would, that would bother him. I knew that if I wrecked it, <laughs> That would not be good. That would be good at all. So I'm telling you, I drove it under the speed limit. I did. I got home and it was washed. It had more gas in it. He said, Kenny, it's got more gas than when you take it, took it out. I said, thanks. He goes, you think you'll ever want to ride again? I said, yeah, I do. But it wasn't mine. I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. It was given to me. It was my dad's and his reputation that I was driving around. And so is holiness. I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. It was given to me. And it's God's reputation that we're driving around. I think if you've been following Christianity in the West over the course of the last year or so, it's been super frustrating to see some of these uh, high-level Christians who have fallen, who have rejected the faith, or fallen deep into sin, because they didn't just fall with their reputation, and they didn't just fall with the reputation of their church, and they didn't just fall with the reputation of Christianity, they also fell with the reputation of God. And there are people who see that, and they go, 
And if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm out. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. So we have a high honor, and holiness is a part of it, that we've been set apart for the work of God because of God's work. It begins with salvation. Receiving Jesus as our Savior. We're going to use a term a little bit later, born again. Uh, it, it, it's a big deal. Receiving Jesus uh, as our Savior is where this begins. Like I said earlier, we saw 10 people uh, who made that profession of faith uh, over Christmas Eve. That's super cool. Uh, that was Christmas Eve, and now we're moving on. And uh, we, like, we want to be soul winners. We want people to know Christ. Because there's no way of experiencing holiness and this amazing work of God, this gift that he gives us to live in and with and around if we don't receive him as our Savior. And so that's a big deal. We're going to see through this holiness that there's also hope. There's hope in the moment for sure, but there's also hope to keep going. And this hope helps us to stay focused on Jesus. And because of that, we have incredible joy. I think you're going to be encouraged as you hear 1 Peter in just a moment. You may be surprised too. I'm going to go like way out there with this illustration, so hang on there. I want you to pretend like you could travel in time. Okay, so you're a time traveler. And because you're a time traveler, and we're making up the story anyways, let's say that you can understand every language spoken, okay? So there's no, that you can understand it, you can get it. And you choose to go to see Jesus. You see his birth. And then you see his ministry begin. And you see these amazing miracles that Jesus performs. And not just that, but you see him interact and you see this this spark in his eye and the challenge that he gives, the rebuke that he gives religious leaders and the embrace that he gives to sinners. And then you take that all the way to the cross. And you see Jesus at the cross and you see him crucified. And after that, you see him raised from the dead. And after that, you see him restore Peter. And then, let's say you come back to this time, this moment, right now. What would you tell us? Would you say, oh yeah, let me explain Jesus to you. He's about a 5'4 Jewish guy. Like, no, that wouldn't matter. You would be talking about the hope that this Jesus gives. And that's exactly what we see in 1 Peter. If you're not there, I want to encourage you to turn there. 1 Peter is where we're at. And because of the number of birthdays that I have had, I can't really see that back screen well, so I'm going to, I'm going to read from here. If I forget to click, if somebody in the front row could just go click, then I'll get it, okay? All right. Um, Matt and I, we were talking about this passage. Um, Matt looked at me and he's like, oh, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Uh, what are we going to do? And he said, well, pray and preach, I guess. Um, but last night, I was home and I told Cindy that. And I'm like, Cindy, look at this. And I read verse 1. And I'm like, we could spend two weeks right here in verse 1. And she's like, stop it. <laughs> Keep moving through it, Kenny. So I recognize that we're, we're highlighting certain things, but there's much that, that we're glossing over. I want to encourage you to uh, just let this be a supplemental study in your world. Like, 
if you're going to see some things like, hmm, why is that there? Underline it, highlight it, study it, use it. It's great. All right, here we are. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Let me pause there. If you have your pen, underline exiles, underline dispersion. Peter is using some Old Testament phrases uh, to, to make the New Testament mind think about some things. But one of the things that you're going to see really quickly is that Peter is saying this. This ain't your home. You, you're not meant for this place. Like This isn't the end. There's more. And though in the Old Testament we see that there's this group of people that were given this land by God himself to dwell, just like that, we have this, this place that we're going. And it's heaven. It's, it's not this. It's not this. We're passing through this place. Don't miss it. Because when you're suffering persecution, it's easy to look at the winds and the waves that are crashing in. So don't do that. Exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the faithful, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There is the salvation that has been given to you, that has set you aside for the work of God. And listen, God is not sorry about it. Anybody here ever do uh, like fantasy football? Ever do fantasy football? Yeah. Uh, have you ever done this in fantasy football? Why did I pick that guy? Oh man, he is not performing. That's not God. God doesn't do that. He doesn't go, oh man, Kimmy, why did I pick him? Oh, he is not. He doesn't do that. There's no repentance as it comes to calling us to himself. Click. Thank you. Am I in the right place? Yeah. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Underline it, please. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here is an amazing truth to that. Peter is living in a time where people could have said, No, Peter, there was no resurrection. We have his body, Peter. Guess what history has to say about that? <laughs> There's no challenge historically to this point. Jesus rose from the grave. It is an historical fact that we can stand on and know that is true, that it is true, that it is true. And a guy who was there, who saw it, who witnessed it, who eventually gives his life for it, tells us about it, I feel pretty confident that I can trust this. And this living hope comes through that resurrection. Because of the work of Jesus, I have this living hope and this salvation. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable. It's not going to go away. Undefiled and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. 
Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If just off to the side of your Bible, if you'll start that verse, verse 7, that's going to be really good because verse 8 is going to um, give us another hint uh, here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And Peter can say that because he saw him and loves him. He sees it. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want, I want to stop there, though, and look at, at verse 8. Verse 8 is quoted by one of John's disciples, a guy named Polycarp. Polycarp leads the church in... Um, in Asia Minor, specifically the church in Smyrna, is talked about in Revelation. Polycarp is this follower of Jesus, loves Jesus, and he quotes this passage. The reason that it's really significant to Polycarp is because he fulfills verse 7. Verse 7, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Polycarp is in his 80s. When the government comes to him and says, confess, confess that Caesar is Lord, Polycarp says, Jesus has never done me wrong. I can't do it. I said, you are, you are in your 80s. You are an old man. Just do this. Do not make us kill you. He said, I can't do it. They took him and they were, they were going to feed him to some wild animals. That was what was happening to Christians in those days. But they had already put the wild animals away and it was too much work to get it out, to get them out again. So they start a fire. They're going to nail Polycarp to, uh, to the stick to stay there. And Polycarp says, for Jesus, you don't need to nail me. I'll stay. And so they took pity on him and they put him in there. And then history records that as the fire set and Polycarp is in there, the fire swirls around him. A soldier comes in with a spear eventually because Polycarp's not being burned alive and stabs him. And this aroma of myrrh fills the area. And the reason that that's significant is because there is this idea that Polycarp is offering his life as a living sacrifice that has been tested by fire. The reason I'm telling you that is there are believers that have gone before us that were willing to pay the ultimate price. They were willing to lay down their lives and give themselves up for Jesus. And they considered it a joy. You don't have to nail me to that. You don't have to fight with me about it. I will not recant my faith. I will not say anything but Jesus is Lord. I can't. And I won't. Polycarp uh, shows us that in just a few generations later, a few years later. Let's continue on verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring 
what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Those prophets, the, they, they shared what they shared to serve the church in front of them. Coming. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. That's not just flowery language. That's a reality. I, the angels in heaven are like, what? You say you were willing to go down and die for them? That's amazing. You were willing to call them to yourself? You were willing to separate them for your work? You were willing to give them your Holy Spirit to indwell? That's amazing. And angels long to look into that. One of the uh, places that that we land in this section, like I said, there are many places, but one of them is this issue of being born again. And what that means, well, Peter is sharing this in 1 Peter, a time before the Gospel of John is being written. The Gospel of John is usually where we think of when we hear this term, born again. It's when Nicodemus meets Jesus at night and they have this conversation, and Jesus says, you need to be born again. And he's like, how can I go back into my mom? That doesn't even make sense, Jesus. And he's like, you know, you're missing the point. That's not what I mean. He says, how can you be a leader of Israel and not understand? And then he says, we have to be born, first of all, of water. That water is like when uh, uh, your mother's water breaks and you're born. And then he says of spirit. And that's this born again piece. And with that, there's some new realities that come out. Well, one of those realities is that we're part of a new family. We're, we're part of something different. Now that doesn't mean that we reject our family. That's not the point. But that we're a part of something that is eternal, that is ancient, that is old, that, that has its roots in God himself who spoke life into existence. And those people who follow him in faith are those who are a part of this family. It's a new identity. It means that when God looks at us, he's not just looking at us. He's looking at his son. He sees his savior in this place. God. Like, oh. You've been replaced by a new identity. Oh, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm an idiot. I'm this and that. No, no, no. Stop it. That's not what the Word of God says about you. You've been bought with a price. That means you have value. You're a child of God. That means you have an inheritance. And it's a big deal. This new identity, however, is something that is understood from a couple of different perspectives. And earlier we read the word sanctification. There's two types of sanctification. There's positional sanctification. That means that when we receive Jesus as our Savior, positionally, we have everything we need. We have uh, access to this uh, inheritance that is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We have a new life. Like those things, positionally, that happens at salvation. But then there's progressive. Like, Progressive, we're becoming more and more like Christ. Just like a, a baby becomes more and more like an adult, right? More and more. There's a progression 
in there. This sanctification is realized that way. When we surrender to Christ, be so thankful that God doesn't say, here are the things you need to work on. <laughs> I would have been so disheartened. This is my list, and it goes out the door and down the road. Oh, my goodness. But day by day, moment by moment, we're working on those things as the Spirit of God convicts and as we read in His Word. And we have a new identity. It's understood positionally, but it's also experienced progressively as we are being transformed. And this brings a new hope. And that new hope is in Christ Himself. It's a reminder to stay focused on Jesus, to not look at the winds and the waves that are crashing in. Earlier I made a comment about being baptized, and uh, I was sincere in that comment. Sam's going to be up here in, in just a moment, and you may be in a place where you're saying, you know what, I, I just need to be obedient. I just need to follow God, and I know my next step is baptism. Cool. Here's what we ask. One, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Two, water doesn't save anybody. Okay, so just so we're clear on that, water may be clean, but it doesn't save a soul. That's the work of Jesus. So, uh, so the, the water doesn't save us. Two, we want to be obedient to what God has called us to. And three, we want to follow Jesus in discipleship. So those are the things that we're asking. If you're saying today, hmm, I'll do it. You have towels for me in the back? Kenny, I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it. I want to do it. Cool. Sam's going to be right over here. In just a moment, you're going to hear some testimonies. And those testimonies, uh, like I said earlier, it, <laughs> it's amazing. There is a, an eighth grader and a sixth grader, and you're going to hear their stories. And, and oh man, if you're like me, you're just going to want to shout. But it's super cool. So be considering that. What might God be doing? Without further ado, let's, let's go ahead and play those videos. 